Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Jonah 39 Patriot podcast. I want to remind you of the newsletter that we also have, and don't forget to check our YouTube channel if you'd be so kind to um, subscribe to the newsletter. The email is thejonah39patriot at gmail.com. On this particular episode, I want to touch base on a topic that is taking a lot of bullets, but that I think nonetheless uh, requires or deserves at least some of our attention. Um, the Electoral College, some argue that it's kind of old, but at the same time, there is there are some attributes. Now, we do have to realize that the, the New Testament is not going to speak definitively about the Electoral College. Obviously, it wasn't invented yet. But it would seem that the Bible would be consistent with the aim of the Electoral College, that is, to enable as many people as possible to have a say in the game, right? In Acts 10, 34-35, we read, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And also in Romans 2, 11, For there is no respect of persons with God. Every person that can be affected by laws of the United States should have their voice in the proceedings, right? In order for more than maybe two states to marry in elections, the Electoral College enables more states to have an opportunity, Right? Everybody has a different occupation. The farmer takes up more property than, say, the businessman or whatever it might be, or nowadays a computer programmer. And so when it's time to have an election, the Electoral College is meant to allow more people to perhaps have a say in the proceedings besides maybe one population density over here or over there. And so there was, there was a, an appropriateness to it at one time at least. Now, an objection to it is, oh, well, the laws are archaic, and there were certain such and such circumstances that led up to it. Well, as Christians are reading the Bible, we have to remember, like in 1 Timothy 1a, where Paul said, but we know the law is good if a man use it lawfully. A Bible reader, a Bible believer, is going to realize that a law, no matter, no matter how good the circumstances of it are or how modern it might be, is at risk of being abused and used incorrectly. And so for the Bible believer, whether or not a law is archaic is not really, or at least really shouldn't be an argument. We know that if they did redo the entire system now, we would only be at the mercy of the smartest and most decent guy in the room, which, guy or girl in the room, which, you know, that's always debatable. As Jeremiah 17.9 pointed out, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so we know that we can only be as good as what the people are. And so, it's a, an argument to uh, be aware of and to be able to perhaps answer. For, for an example of how, how popular wisdom, conventional wisdom, can change over time, some type of perceived wisdom ratified the 18th Amendment, which abolished alcohol in the United States. But not quite 20 years later, the 21st Amendment repealed the 18th. And so, popular wisdom goes back and forth, back and forth. As a Declaration of Independence warned against light and transient causes, we must exercise a similar notion of prudence before changing such foundational laws. Am I right or am I wrong? might help, though, as we discuss this to realize what we were dealing with. So, and we, and we know from the Bible that, that we are expected to be smart about changes, about, be smart about things that we do. Proverbs 13, 16 reads, Every prudent man dealeth with knowledge, but a fool layeth up open his folly. 
is getting rid of the Electoral College ex exercising prudence? It's hard to say. Proverbs 19.14 said, House and riches are in the inheritance of fathers. How can we be sure that the Electoral College isn't part of a good, sensible inheritance from the founding generation? Well, an answer could be found in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. So, we have to establish whether, well, was the Electoral College good? Was it bad in a manner that we could actually replace it? But, can we replace it with a yet sensible tool? If it should be replaced, if the Electoral College should be replaced, Bible believers should be prepared to offer a fresh mechanism that is also consistent with biblical wisdom and prudence. But really, the ills of this should be clearly delineated. The claim of part of a bygone era cannot be a sole justification on its own. A modern law can also be abused by people's selfishness or passion. Yes, we kind of established that, but it's still a point to drive home. Now, I can also reconsult what the founders were thinking when they um, argued for it 200-something years ago. In Federalist Paper number 68, it says that the manner of it be not perfect is at least excellent, the it being how to elect the president. The wisdom of the founders' time was that the Electoral College was excellent. If they were wrong, what mechanism can we devise today that could be regarded as excellent in our generation? Really? There's so much partisanship and some, so many people disagreeing with each other just for the sake of it. I don't even know if we could. I don't even know if we could achieve good, much less excellent, nowadays. The author of Federalist 68 also said, It was desirable that the sense of the people should operate in the choice of the people to whom so important trust was to be confided. This end will be answered by committing the right of making it, not to any pre-established body, but to men chosen by the people for a special purpose and at a particular conjecture. It was equally desirable that the immediate election should be made by men most capable of analyzing qualities adapted to the station and acting under circumstances favorable to deliberation and to a judicious combination of the reasons of the inducements which were proper to govern their choice. A small number of persons selected by their fellow citizens from the general mass will be most likely to possess the information and discernment requisite to such complicated investigations. It is also peculiarly desirable to afford as little opportunity as possible to tumult and disorder. This evil was not least to be dreaded in the election of a magistrate who was to have so important an agency in the administration of the government as the President of the United States. But the precautions which have been so happily concerted in the system under consideration promise an effectual security against this mischief. The choice of several to form an immediate body of electors will be much less apt to convulse the community with any extraordinary or violent, violent movements than the choice of one who was himself to be the final object of public wishes. And as the electors chosen in each state are to assemble and vote in the state in which they are chosen, this detached and divided situation will expose them much less to heats and ferments, which might be communicated from them to the people, than if they were all to be convened at one time in one place. We practice this discipline in other manners of life as well, taking a set of people and setting them aside so they can specifically deliberate on a single topic. That's what judges do, are we right? That's what juries do, am I right? They... They separate themselves from society for a given amount of time in order to test the guilt or innocence of the defendant. In our Christian circles, a pastor is a type that separates himself for prayer and for ministry. That also happened in the early church in Acts. The apostles had actually walked with 
Jesus the closest did not think that they should uh, give their time to waiting on tables, but that they need to separate themselves for prayer and for fasting. And so we see this this uh, discipline in other areas to protect the people from the people that are making the decision from too many influences. Notice the author says, a small number of persons selected by their fellow citizens from the general mass will be most likely to possess the information and discernment requisite to such complicated investigations. Solomon told us, every prudent man dealeth with knowledge. Paul told us to prove all things. And so, the mechanism of the Electoral College was designed to allow a certain number of people to be able to evaluate the attributes or the qualifications of the particular person that was supposed to be chosen for president. Surely that is a safeguard of prudence that we would want to maintain. And so we seem to have a mechanism that was meant to follow those exact admonitions. Surely men were flawed. We're flawed in our own ways. The Electoral College not, should not really be abolished without more concrete reasoning. Because this is a conversation of which we would all be affected by as citizens of the United States, biblical thinkers probably should be be prepared and ready to offer biblical insight insight to the debate if the day does come. So that's what we're happening, hoping to uh, provide to you today. But again, but again, the choice of president is a decision that it may should have had an opportunity to participate as possible, not just a concentration of people over here or over there, one particular occupation, and to separate a, a body of people that can that can evaluate the credentials of that person. These disciplines were accepted in the Bible, were considered as wisdom then, and surely we should probably ought to stand by them now, or at least come up with something that will, that will also have that wisdom and prudence behind it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out our YouTube channel.